With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Gary Armstrong and today I'm joined by Scott McDermott and Johnny McFarlane. On the pod today, we were told it'd be a stormy affair, but in reality it was anything but as Dave King and the board ease through their AGM. We look back at Aberdeen's visit to Ibrox, an excellent performance that few saw coming, and we look at the latest news from the Rangers manager hunt. So we'll start in the only place we can, and that's from today's AGM. One of the big lines that came out of it today, Johnny, is that Dave King says the manager hunt is progressing and that some of the candidates they're looking at are under contract. What do you make of that? Well, I think uh, we could speculate, and I think we probably will speculate at the end of the pod if we go into the latest news. But, I mean, one thing Dave King did go on to say in a, in a 14-minute interview he gave to Rangers TV, he said the next man will be given a three-year deal. The club's looking for long-term stability. Um, and funds will be made available. He said that's a non-negotiable. Funds will be made available. They need to be if Rangers are going to go back to the top of the SPL. So he said that, and he said that funds will be available in January for a new manager, should he wish to spend them. However, the manager himself might want to work with the squad he has and have a big lump sum to deal with in uh, in, Jan- in, uh, in the summer. And from what Dave King was saying it did sound like there would be substantial funds once again made available for a new manager. Who that new manager is, obviously, we will speculate uh, as this podcast goes on. But that was the that was the headline information on that at the AGM. Are you surprised, Scott, in a way that he's been so committal uh, about the investment a new boss is going to get after spending so much under Pedro Cachinha and that not paying dividends so far? Not really, Gary, because I think he has to say that. I think that that's that's what the fans want to hear. And I mean, Dave King's watched enough football in his life to know when a team needs some uh, needs some work on it. And if he's seen most of the Rangers games this season, he'll be well aware, well aware that the money that was given to Pedro Cushinia in the summer uh, wasn't brilliantly spent. I don't think um, some of the some of the guys that came in just haven't cut it and I think anyone who's who's seen this Rangers team will know that it needs some needs some improvements. Um, in terms of January, it was interesting what Johnny says there, I think a new manager coming in would probably like to work with the current squad first of all, I think you want to have a good look at them, I think you want to decide who's going to, um, who's going to be the core of his team going forward. And he'll also decide on guys who he doesn't think have got a future. Um, so I don't expect major money to be spent in January. I think any new manager would want one or two of his own guys in um, just to kind of sprinkle it. But I think the wise move would probably be, as Johnny says, to wait until the summer. Hopefully when more money will be available and then you can do a proper kind of revamp of the, of the squad. It's, it's notoriously difficult to get value for money yeah. in January. I mean, yeah. it is the ultimate seller's market because clubs are desperate one end of the table or the other so they can really demand a premium for their players. You look at the players that Rangers are said to be interested in or cert- certainly under um, Pedro, which was um, Louis Moult, um, Jamie Walker, certainly was definitely someone who was interested in Rangers and of course Kenny McLean's another one that keeps on getting mentioned now those are players that are available for absolutely nothing in in the summer now is is a new manager want to take over and think these guys are are players that I want too because it's kind of obvious we've discussed that in detail but then that might be (coughs) one and a half million out of his transfer budget in the summer was he could get them for free yeah but what what the new manager could do and probably should do in January is tee up a lot of these pre-contract guys look at that market, look at the Bosman market, see who's available. And if he doesn't make major acquisitions in January, 
at the very least give the fans something to talk about, something to look forward to, if you like, by tying up a Kenny McLean or a Louis Moult so so that they know that they're coming at the end of the at the end of the season for the start of a new campaign. Yeah, there has been that feeling recently that the best way for Rangers to compete firstly against Aberdeen and then against Celtic is to kind of take all the best players from other teams in the league. Do you think we're likely to see that from the new manager then? Do you think that's what the policy will be? Depends who it is. You know, if it's someone who's coming in... Uh, I mean, one of the other things that Dave King said, I should have said this at the start, is that it would be someone with uh, Scottish or British experience. So you would have to expect that someone coming in would be thinking that way. However, until we actually see the name, it's hard to, to, to make a judgement call on it. I, I, I think it would be sensible. If you look at the list of players that are going to be free in the summer, there's a lot of talent there. James MacArthur's one that, that I yeah. noticed was on it. Now, he would be, for me, I think a Rangers fan, the identical kind of player that you would want to bring in at Ibrox, someone who's got a bit of dig about him, shown he's got the mentality down to, to cut it at the highest level. So while I don't know if they're interested in him or not, I think that's the kind of players available. There is some good quality out there. Yeah, I think it's happened throughout the years. Gary, you no know, Rangers managers going back to Walter Smith's time in charge. You, you go and if you see guys in Scotland who, you know, you rate and, and more importantly, you actually see them hurting your team in games. You no know, Rangers and Celtic have got the clout to go and go and get these guys. I mean, that's that's just a fact of life. I mean, more recently, even think of, you know, Celtic going and getting Scott Brown, Rangers going and getting Kevin Thompson. No, that that's just what happens when you're at the old firm. So I think any new manager would be well advised, and you know, Pedro Cushinia and, and even Mark Warburton you know, might have been better advised to do the same. Look around Scotland. I'm not saying there's a huge pool of talent who, who you can pick up relatively cheaply, but there are definitely guys out there who could improve this Rangers team. So that would be one of the first things I would do if you if you got that job. The board were asked today, as expected, why is it taking so long to find a successor for Pedro? How well do you feel the board sort of defended that today, Johnny? Well, I think not, that well. not, not, <laughs> not entirely well. I mean, I think he made a comment about there being a, a correct amount of due process and that it was a very important decision and therefore not one that they wanted to rush. I think he used a, a pretty ill-advised ex, uh, example, which was it would take me up to three months to appoint a CEO in my businesses in South Africa. I think that shows a little bit of naivety to make that comment, which you normally wouldn't associate yeah. with Dave King, who's a pretty slick media operator. Um, kind of makes him sound a bit aloof from yeah. the actual game itself. Pretty lame excuse, to be honest, for, for the time it's taken. I mean... Uh, Nobody suggests about getting a chief executive in South Africa. I mean, what, what, what that's got to do with potentially losing six points worth of ground on your, your closest rivals in the Scottish Premiership, um, I don't really know. that, that That's the point. I think that's the point the fan made, correct me if I'm wrong, that you know, this delay has potentially cost Rangers ground, cost them points in terms of trying to get up the, get up the league. And I don't think Dave King or anyone else really... No, addressed the issue or explained quite why it's taken it's taken this long. He did say one thing, which was that when the they lost Pedro, they had to go away and look at the the type of manager they wanted and and look at the the kind of personality traits that that puts together what is the next Rangers manager, and they had to completely change it because they felt that they had to go for a, a British experienced manager this time now. That's all very well, and I'm sure that would take a day or so, but it doesn't really... But they've now changed the type of manager. It's going to be three times. So, no, my question is, who's accountable for appointing? Uh, no, does it get to a point where someone has to be accountable? I mean, they, they go for Mark Warburton, who's an English manager, no experience of Scotland or Rangers, and he uh, kind of plunders the, the English market because it's what he knows got a bit of success and then it goes pear-shaped. They then decide that they want to go foreign you know, with Pedro Cachina who knows a completely different market i.e. Portuguese and Mexican getting guys like Morelos in so you know, that's the direction they go down and now that goes pear-shaped and you're saying they now needed what five weeks to decide 
right, we need to we need to come up with another di- another direction to go in for the manager. I mean, it, it just seems ridiculous, ridiculous to me that, that it's taken this long to realise. Let's be honest. I think we all know the next manager is going to be British. He's going to have some experience of Scottish football and and Rangers probably. Um, so. How it's taken them five weeks to come to that conclusion is, is beyond me. I mean, you've kind of touched on it a bit there, Scott, but Dave King actually came out and defended the appointment of Pedro Cachinha today. A few fans a bit surprised at that today, would you say? I think they would be, and that's why I'm surprised that the the kind of mood to the AGM no, was, was pretty tame from, from what, what I hear. I thought there'd have been a bit more pressure put on them as to how know how they came to that decision. I think Dave King said it was a unanimous decision by the board. Well, yeah, he, he made clear that the rumours regarding uh, Graham Park having an undue influence over the process. He said that just wasn't the case. He said it was a unanimous decision, and and, and he he scotched that rumour. Um, I've never I've never doubted that it was a unanimous decision. I mean, uh, Graham Park would have been a fan of Pedro Cachinha, um and I think everyone knew that because before Mark Warburton came in, when Rangers tried to get the Portuguese coach uh, Pereira, I think his name was, yeah, he was one of, yeah, he was one of their top targets and Pedro Cachinha was his assistant. So it was no surprise to me that, that someone like Graham Park would have been a fan of Cachinha. But So he clearly went to the board, you know, put forward this guy's case, but I don't doubt they all bought into it and they would have agreed, yeah, we think this is the right the right road to go down. Just to clarify on that as well, I think he came back to this point, Dave King, and he did say, as I stated earlier, after a thorough process, all board members endorsed Pedro's appointment and we do take collective responsibility for that. So he is saying there, you know, we we take the responsibility for what was essentially a mistake. But I think he was what he was trying to say was that the process itself, the you know, it was a gamble that didn't come off, so we were aware of that at the time. Did they say it was a bit rushed? No, I thought it was at short notice that they had to get Pedro Cachina at short notice because of the, the nature of Warburton's exit. He was. Um, he, he said that um, he was. He was. He made a play on the fact that it only took a month. He said, you know, right. Pedro had his feet under the desk um, <coughs> after a month. Um, so, so certainly, I mean, he did have talking to Warburton. He did have a couple of barbed. Sort of comments about yeah. Warburton engineering his departure, so that that was interesting. Obviously, clearly, still no love lost there, which is quite remarkable, really. Uh, the, the amount of animosity that sort of that generated. Yeah. I mean, it's listen. I don't think we're ever going to know what really went on. I think there's probably faults on both sides around that time. But in terms of having a pop at Mark Warburton now, I mean, it's easy. It's easy to have digs once once the guys left. Well, if you're if you're under a wee bit of pressure for for fans or that, then you know, it's easy to kind of lump the blame onto lump the blame onto somebody else. So, listen, Matt Warburton's time is long gone at Rangers, so I don't think there's any need to to go back to it. Talking of Warburton, one of his current players, Barry Mackay, Dave King actually came out and sort of held his hands up to say we sold him under value, which maybe a bit surprised that he he'd admit that, but everyone can see at the time that. Barry Mackay was let go for far less than he was worth, Johnny. He described it as bad management. Um, you know, we had Barry's agent, um, Grant Smith, talking about this. Um, and it was interesting to see King completely reiterate Grant's statement. Um, so I thought that was um, that was good that he actually he just came out and admitted it. He said... That, was, was, um, King, was King pinning that on Warburton or was King he, he, he didn't in so many words but he, he pinned it on he said it was bad management so my impl- my implication my understanding of that was that he was talking about the way that Barry had been relegated to the reserves so it's, in essence he was completely That's backing up what Grant had said which was that they didn't have any kind of poker hand in the negotiations yeah. because Forrest came and said well he's a player you don't want this is a player who's been told he's not wanted so you know we're going to offer a, a, an amount that's commensurate to a player that's sitting in your reserves. But but I would argue, John, even before that, and we spoke about it uh, long ago. The, the fault to me was with the the board in the sense that Barry McKay should have been tied up on a long term deal. You know they should have been aware that at his age and with his ability, he was a big asset. Now 
whether he was off for him or not, whether the fans liked him or not, it doesn't matter. You need to realise <clears throat> if a guy's in his early 20s, he's already been in Scotland squad, he's pretty much a regular in, in the Premiership in your team, you need to get him tied down in a longer term deal if you, want to, if you want to make, make money on him. And the fact that his contract was allowed to run down to, to six months or whatever it is, is was ridiculous that just should never happen so I think what happened there was look I mean again like in the in the interview I did with uh, Grant Smith he said that they were in four times to discuss a new contract for Barry and Barry wanted to stay but I think what happened there was simply that Pedro Kashina didn't rate Barry Mackay yeah. to the same level that everyone else at Rangers necessarily did uh, and ultimately the breakdown between Pedro Kashina and Barry Mackay was what did it for, 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 for Barry in the end. Um, I did think it was interesting as well, King actually put a price on what he thought Barry Mackay was worth, which was €2 million, Euros, and I think he's spot on, that's what he would have yeah. been worth. I mean, we talked about in this pod before the lack of players Rangers have within their ranks with sell-on value. Now, Mark Allen, who we've also talked about a lot, sort of put his head above the parapet to an extent today, and he was kind of hinting about a future of bringing younger players through, potentially with a sell-on value. So was it good to actually hear from Mark Allen today, firstly? Well, uh, Gary Ralston, our colleague who was in, who was in the AGM today, um, I think was a little underwhelmed by what Mark Allen had to say. Um, it's hard to be positive about Mark Allen so far because what he has done is he's delivered the the scouting system and King Dave King in his interview with Rangers TV was very, very um, gushing actually about Mark Allen and what he's achieved. But as we said last week and without repeating ourselves, but the Rangers fans deserve answers from Mark Allen as to what his role is. They didn't particularly get an awful lot today, I didn't think, from what, what we've seen. And I think he owes it to the club to do a, a more in-depth interview, not with the club media who are just, you know, who are there to promote their own agendas, but I think with the, the rest of the media in Scotland. So the, the, the questions the fans want answered are put to Mark Allen and we can get some more information about the guy. And I think that would benefit Mark Allen. Never mind, never mind uh, the media. It would benefit <coughs> Mark Allen to get what he's doing out there because if he, he is producing... You know this excellent work behind the scenes we're hearing about. Why wouldn't you want to s- celebrate that from the rooftops? I, f- I find it astonishing. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, he was only asked one question today at the AGM. I mean, for a director of football, uh, that's that's incredible. I think for a guy who's, you know, who came in in August, as Johnny says, who hasn't spoken, hasn't done any interviews with the, you know, with the media as yet. I would have thought the fans would have had a lot of questions about Mark Allen. No, for a start, what what are his credentials? Um, that would have been that would have been the first question. What he was going to bring, what he was going to bring to Rangers in terms of in terms of his qualities, and also looking ahead, you no, know, what kind of structure he's going to put in place you know, in terms of the academy leading through to first team, um, a bit more on the on the scouting, a bit more on style of play. I mean. To get, to get asked one one question, I mean, this is a guy who's been charged with running the football side of Rangers. Um, so I think there's still, no, I think the fans still need lots more answers for, for Mark Allen, and, and hopefully they'll get they'll get some of that in the, in the coming months. There's a book by Michael Calvin that was very popular in the last year called No Hunger in Paradise, which is about youth development in England. And Mark Allen has got a couple of chapters pretty much devoted to his role at Man City. And he comes across in the book as an extremely impressive, intelligent, erudite individual with a lot of good ideas. So I don't see why he's not come out yeah. and, 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 and been able to get that across because to me he seems like a character that would absolutely be able to, to sell his ideas. Mm-hmm. It's just a case of it's a bit bizarre. Yeah, because it's not necessarily as if what he's doing is wrong. It's just that we don't know what he's doing. Beyond the scouting setup, which he's yeah. come out and talked about, that's correct. And he, he mentioned Ross McCrory quite rightly, who was who was terrific and has made a, you know, he's made a real impact since coming in. But I think, you no, know, if you were a fan, and you've got Mark Allen in front of you, you'd want to know, you know, who are the next ones coming through? Is there a, is there a batch coming through that we can get excited about? That we can look forward to seeing. You know, when will we see the things that you're putting in place? When will we see the the fruits of it? I mean, there's just 
so much you would like to ask him if you if you got him sat down. So I'm surprised, really surprised that that no, he wasn't kind of underly cautious a wee bit more today. A big issue for the supporters, which was brought up today a couple of times, was their collective anger over Celtic's ticket allocation at Ibrooks. How do you think the the club responded to that today? What do you agree with their response? Well, I mean, this took up a large chunk of the Q&A um, and essentially it comes down to, I think, people are just not happy at having to look over and see their rivals, 7,500 people gloating, and, which is essentially the entire, well, it is the, the entire Broomland stand, while other clubs are in the, the wee corner, as you saw with the Aberdeen game last night. Stuart Robins, Robertson pretty much uh, knocked the idea down, though, I would say. I mean, he said... There are serious, there are various implications of making the move, and at the moment the status quo will continue for a while. There will be no change in the agreements in the short term. There are financial, safety, and segregation segregation issues, and the safety certificate is tied to what our segregation agreements are. Uh, I get the emotional argument, but essentially is what he said. Um, so he did, however, vow to improve dialogue with the supporters over the situation. I don't think it's going to change, Johnny. No. I mean, I think uh, Gary hit the nail on the head in your video earlier um, from the AGM, and, and you've touched on it there. That basically, the fans are becoming frustrated at you know, Celtic coming to Ibrooks and, and celebrating in, in front of them, as which has been the case for, for a couple of years now, obviously. So, um, the thing is, as well, similar to the, the ticket pricing issue with Old Firm games a few years ago. Can't remember which way around it was, but I'm sure Celtic upped their away ticket for an Old Firm game to something like £49, which was no higher than, than every other one. So immediately Rangers just say, well, no, the away tickets for Ibrox will be £49 as yeah. well. So Rangers fans, no, it's okay kind of shouting and screaming about getting Celtic's allocation down, moving them into the corner. But what would that mean for them going to Celtic Park? I mean, the Rangers fans like going to Celtic Park, taking over 5,000 in that corner. Now, despite being a huge stadium, they can get, still give their team a bit of backing um, when, they, when they really need it. And I think if, if Rangers did do this, Celtic would just respond by saying, right, you're getting, you'll get 1,000 stuck right in the corner or on the top deck or whatever. I do kind of see where they're coming from, though, in, in, a, in a sense that I don't think the position of Rangers fans at Parkhead is commensurate with where the Celtic fans are at Ibrox, in that they get an entire stand. Yeah, it's just different stadiums, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, that, that's true, but I also think as well, Celtic, 60,000 stadium, they, they get 7,500 Rangers. 50,000 stadium, Celtic get 7,500. So, arguably... I think Celtic have got the better deal. Now, what that can be done about that, no. you know, you know, can't segregation issues, you can't cut can't it in So I can understand why they're frustrated because I think they've got valid reasons to look at what I just said and say that that's not fair. But th there's a very good reason why it is the way it is, and it's because it would be very, very difficult to have it any other way. I think Scott's hit the nail on the head in what he said, so I, you know, there's, I don't think there's much else to add. I think he's, he's absolutely right. There will come a time when Rangers will very much like the idea of having 7,500 backing them at Parkhead, because this, this um, situation with Celtic being so far ahead won't go on forever. And another major point that, Johnny, I know you've been doing a bit of research on this, um, the East, Dave King alleging that the Easdale brothers, in fact, reported him to the takeover well, panel. Well, it's important that we say that the Easdale brothers have poo-pooed that uh, and come out and said that it was actually um, the former chairman uh, of Rangers, whose name now escapes me, uh, who was the, the chairman? The, the wee what, what one? Malcolm Murray? No, no, after Murray. Uh, the summer Summers? That it was actually David Summers that came out and and, and, and did that. Uh, so so we should we should couch it by saying that. But Dave King did come out and say that it was these deals um, that did that. I mean, obviously there's a bigger issue at play with regards to this takeover panel, and there's a lot of discussion amongst Rangers fans about the implications of this. There's some Rangers fans who are who have financial backgrounds who are very concerned. I spoke to one today about the, the potential implications of a, of a cold shoulder in, the fact that no one in the history of the takeover panel has ever ignored um, what they've asked them to do, and, and Dave King's the first. So 
clearly there's some there's some issues there, and um, I'm not sure um, many people who who feel that this is a major issue were that satisfied by the answer Keith King gave on it today, which was a sort of lawyer's argument um, where he was saying that well they've asked me to personally make this offer, but it's my company that should be making the offer, so I don't think that's right. Which you know, obviously the lawyers will go in and discuss that and we'll, we'll wait to see what happens in terms of the, the, the court judgment on that. Looking at the AGM as a whole then, Scott, how much were the board helped by the, the team's performance last night? Hugely. Um, I mean, you just sitting at the game last night, the way it was going, that it was going to help them enormously. It just took the sting out of it. I think before last night, no, the punters were probably fearing the worst, and if I mean if that score had been reversed, I think it would have been a, a wholly different atmosphere uh, inside the the AGM today. Um, so it was a lot more. It was a lot more tame that helped. And even so, I still expected it to be a wee bit more, a wee bit more explosive dis- despite the result. But clearly, um, a lot of the fans were so so overjoyed by last night's rare performance that. Um, they, they gave them a bit an easy time of it today. Yeah, I think it's just the the whole atmosphere changes when you you go into a game against or at the moment your your rivals for that expected second place position, and you, you basically give them a, a damn good hiding against the odds. It just took a lot, a lot of the sting out of it, and it was a nice day this morning as well. It wasn't pouring down with rain; everybody's miserable to be there. You know, they just. The, the the chips fell in their favour and, and I think ultimately well there's been a bit of criticism I saw that um, one of the fans um, chiefs um, he had come out and said that he was pretty nonplussed by the, the way the board had gone about their business I think generally there was there was nothing that, that jumped out as being too concerning immediately for Rangers fans, as I say this ongoing issue with um, the takeover panel is an issue for Dave King and it'll be interesting to see how that pans out but if they can get a manager in in the next few days which is what the, the rumours are flying about um, to, to suggest then um, I think they'll be making major steps forward ultimately the way Rangers are judged as a business is going to be how they do on the pitch exactly it's, all, it's always the same listen the, the board I think Gary touched on it earlier the, the board have put money in and I don't think any Rangers fan would doubt the commitment of the board members in terms of them being Rangers men and wanting you know, wanting the best for the club and having the club's best interests at heart. That's all fine. I don't think they'll, they'll have any criticism of that or any doubts about that. But it's the day-to-day management, you know, governance of the club. That's what the fans have to concern themselves with. You know, new manager, director of football, youth set-up, funds in January... It's all that kind of stuff, but that is all dictated to, as Johnny says, by performances on the pitch. And no, that's so clear by the fact that that performance last night, as you say, just changed changed the whole atmosphere. Moving on then to, to last night's performance specifically, Johnny, how would you rank it in terms of Rangers' performances this season? The best so far for you? Certainly one of the best. Uh, I thought that the reaction to the actual game itself has been slightly over the top because I felt that Rangers were great for 30 minutes. And then Aberdeen, I think, were the better team for 30 minutes. And then Rangers scored on the counter and then the game was dead because it was 3-0. Overall, Rangers, for me, deserve to win. But I don't think the game was anything other than in the balance um, for 60 minutes and Aberdeen certainly had a couple of really good chances that on another day they would have put away and it could have been a, d- a different story so I wouldn't get carried away however definitely the best result this season and you know I think there were several performances that would make you stand up and say those boys stood tall in a Rangers jersey last night in a, in a big game Ross McCrory um, was fantastic I thought um, really came of age and you've got a 19 year old kid coming into a huge game and in an unusual position for him and playing fantastically well so that was really impressive and I think there was other performances as well I mean Scott has been a big critic of Carlos Pena but that's five and five games now I mean the guy 
What? He doesn't do I, much. I take but... it all back. What a player. What a player. <laughs> nah, listen, that, that was Peña's best game for Rangers, bar none. Last night, I thought it was a terrific team performance. One of Rangers' best this season. Um, there was a hunger, there was a desire, there was a tempo about them that oh, we've seen oh, not that often that this season. Um, so I suppose the flip side is you come away from it thinking, why, why have they not produced that no, other times this season? I mean, they, they compare it to the Dundee and the Hamilton games, it was just it was night and day. I think Aberdeen contributed to it um, by the way they set up, but I wouldn't necessarily blame Derek McInnes for that, just because I think he went there last night smelling blood. I think he thought it was a chance to get at Rangers after the, those two defeats. I think he was pretty attack-minded going there. But the key thing, and I know it's a cliche, but it's true, Rangers scoring the first goal, getting that penalty was, was, was crucial. It's not happened often enough for them this season and it really, because they started the game well in the front foot and then they got the reward uh, no, with, with the goal, it really no, gave the players a lift, gave the crowd a lift. And I, I, I know what you're saying, John, I think Aberdeen did have a, a spell in the game. I think the Gary mckay Stephen chance late yeah. in the first half, if that goes in. It was a header by the, was it right at the back, <coughs> which I thought he should have scored, you know, it was about two yards out and he's, right. he's, he's headed the ball down they, at uh, uh, McCrory's back yeah they, they, had a, they had a couple of chances that, that might have changed things especially if they'd have got it before half time I thought Rangers no I've not said it too often this season they managed the game really well in the second half okay. they look solid and what I would say is Ross McCrory quite rightly will get a lot of plaudits I thought Jason Holt Ryan Jack were, were brilliant Peña Still an enigma. Here's what he does though, right? Kenny Miller, we've criticised him so often because he goes all over the pitch. He doesn't stay his positions, right? When Kenny Miller does that, Pena fills in. So you're you're actually, instead of going that man down up front without Pena, he's intelligent enough to fill in that space. And I thought that's what he was doing. He he caused them so many problems, not by particularly doing anything other than taking up intelligent positions. I, I agree. He's such a weird player. Yeah. In that. Two, two things. Graham Murphy said something interesting after the game in his post match press conference, which I think was spot on. He was asked about how impressive Pena had been. And normally a manager would jump on that and say he thought he was fantastic. No, he did this, did that. He didn't. He praised him and said that he played well. But crucially, he said, I think he played well because of the three guys in behind him. I think that's it with Pena. If you're going to play him, you play him in that position where he was last night. But my God, you need three grafters behind him doing all the work because that's alien to him. Uh, and maybe that's maybe that's benefiting him and Rangers. The fact that he isn't running about and he's staying in the one, pretty much staying in that that one area, might be helping. It, it certainly looks that way, but. He looked good last night, I think, because McCrory, Jack and Holt did so much work in behind him and, and that, that resulted in a, in, a, in a great team performance. The other thing I was just going to say, and it's a guy that's not been mentioned <coughs> very much this morning, but I thought was key, was Alves at the back. I mean, he didn't do anything spectacular last night, he had one brilliant header deep in Rangers' box when Aberdeen were kind of putting a bit of pressure on but just his sheer presence, his authority, his kind of leadership at the back, I think allows your jacks and your hopes and that to go and to go and play. They can, you know, they can press high and, and get in Aberdeen's faces, knowing they've got that guy behind them. And he's by far Rangers' best centre half. He made Danny Wilson look ten times better. Last night, that's as well. so Danny Wilson, isn't it? You go again, you go alongside the, the experienced centre half, and yeah. all of a sudden, he looks great. like a different Same player. Davy Weir when he first broke in, honestly. Maybe that, that's the partnership that, that Rangers I have been looking for. I think that could be the could be the partnership. Maybe a wee bit unfair on on Cardozo, but he's he's new to the club. He's still young. Um, I think Alves and Wilson might just be the partnership. Looked to have a good balance. They looked solid last night. Put a dealt with Stevie May and uh, you know, McLean kind of bombing one I thought they dealt with that really well but 
I thought Alves was really, really important for them last night, and it's vital that going forward, they not only did they keep him fit, but they recognise, you know, we build the team around us, around us guy. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. I thought I thought he was excellent. I mean, he's, I think it's a new style of football for him. I think it's been a culture shock uh, for him. Whenever he's talked about it, you can tell that he, I think he's found that, and he's a physical lad. I think he's found the physicality um, difficult. Um, I don't know if that would be an age thing or just the type of football he's been used to. Even in Serie A, it's the aerial bombardment that yeah. he faces. It was, it was also good to see after the game, as the players were walking off, I watched Alves go over to Murty and give him a big, kind of, big bear hug after the game. And there was obviously, I think there was a few doubts you know, about this, this so-called back injury that he had and people were wondering if he'd taken a huff because you know, he was on the bench and stuff like that. But certainly... The reaction after the game when he, when he went to Murty and, and gave him that big hug would suggest that everything's fine between both of them. Murty, I would imagine, now realises because you remember he did leave Alves out for one game after the Hearts game. Yeah. He thought it was better to, to give the, you know, the same players another chance. I mean, really, that was wrong. I mean, a manager's job is to go and pick the best possible 11. And if you're looking at a best possible Rangers 11, Bruno Alves cannot be out of that. In that starting starting side. Yeah, I felt last night that after the Dundee and the Hamilton games, that Rangers almost needed a big game to motivate them. How much credit does Murty get for getting results and getting the most out players in these big games, like he did at Celtic Park last year? And also looking ahead to Sunday, can Rangers get three points again at Pataudry, Johnny? Well, I think Murty's been a bit of a mixed bag. There's no other way to describe it. I mean, uh, both both uh, Stints, tenures. Yeah. I mean, but as you say, his record in the big games has been has been good. And I thought tactically, he got it spot on last night. Um, Scott and me were texting before the game, and we were looking at that lineup, going, "It's a huge gamble." I mean, uh, McCrory in defensive midfield. Penyo's back in, you know, it was bit, bitterly cold. Yeah. You know, it was like you're going to be a tough battle in midfield. You think that's Penyo going to be the man for that? But P- people wondered whether it might be three at the back as well when they seen McCrory, Alves, and Wilson. They could have, they could have lined up with that, but I think, as Johnny said, the diamond worked, worked fine. I mean, I've seen McCrory a couple of times for Scotland under twenty ones and Scotland under nineteens playing that anchor role in midfield, and he's always looked good. And I just wonder going forward whether that might be the, the position for him I, I'm not convinced yet I'm not totally ruling it out but I'm not convinced yet he's really got the the kind of dominance in terms of the height and the power to be a, a top centre half but certainly in that position last night um, he gets up out the pitch great he's got good pay, he's, his recoveries are brilliant yeah. you know, if he does make a mistake or someone else loses the ball his recovery is great and his pace he's really aggressive in the tackle that's what to me marks him out he doesn't shuck a tackle in any way he really gets stuck in I've not seen a player like that Ibrox for a while you were expecting Ryan Jack to be like that Ryan Jack's actually more of a technical player but McCrory really gets stuck in I think he's a a real talent so Pataudry on Sunday then Scott how do you see it going do you you think Rangers can do the double over Aberdeen they can I mean they're capable they showed that uh, showed that last night I think I've said before I think Rangers have got better players than Aberdeen they just haven't produced it over the last last couple of years and that's all credit to, to Derek McInnes for what he's got out of that Aberdeen squad in terms of finishing second well well better than, than Rangers so they're capable of doing it but you touched on it you know, the, the, the Graham Murty tenures so far have been up and down so you know, would you really you know would you really put money on Rangers going to, going to Pataudry? I mean, one thing's for sure, that would have hurt Derek McInnes last night, certainly hurt the, the supporters that travelled down. They'll be right up for that on Sunday. And it's a, listen, it's always a hard game for Rangers going to Pataudry, and this Sunday will be no, no different. Derek McInnes is an underrated tactical manager. Very underrated. Uh, the best example of that, well, there's several examples, but an example of that would be Motherwell against Aberdeen. They Motherwell won 3-0 yeah, they, they beat them about that. they beat them all over the pitch in that game they were very aggressive it was before Motherwell had really come to the fore how they were yeah. playing and I think Aberdeen were caught cold the next game McInnes completely changed 
how he played, completely changed the setup, changed the players, and dug out a one 0 victory. Yeah. That's what Derek McInnes can do. I think Murty would be ill advised to go with the diamond again. I think uh, McInnes is smart enough to set up against the diamond in the similar way that Celtic played against the diamond when uh, Pedro Cucina was a manager and he'll look to exploit the wings. There was very little width in Aberdeen's starting 11 last night. Yeah. He put on Mackay Stevens to try and do that. Immediately, he got in. He got in. Now, that is how you combat a diamond, is that you, you get a width into the game. And I think McInnes will be more than tactically astute enough to sort that out. So I would say be ill-advised. I think Rangers should line up in a 4-5-1, make it a battle, make it a scrap, make sure the players go into that game with the same attitude that they had um, at Ibrox, maybe even more so, and, and look to dig out a, a, a victory that way. Um, by just, keeping just, it really, really tight. Would you start Pena? No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Um, I think Pena, for me, undoubtedly now has a role to play at Rangers. I think um, they need to extract maximum value from him as a player, and that means um, making sure that he's in the lineup more than he has been. I think he's clearly got something in terms of his, his scoring ability. I think Scott's spot on in terms of like you need to build the team kind of almost around him, or you need to make up for his inadequacies. But I don't think Aberdeen away is the right place for them. I think it's going to be a, a battle. I think they need a Walter Smith-style percentage game, no-nonsense, get-stuck-in performance. And that's how they can win the game. Derek McInnes is too tactically astute against the Diamond at Pataudry. Rangers play that way, they'll get beat. Just on Pena, just a small thing for last night, but it just summed, summed him up or summed up his time so far. Literally 30 seconds after he scored, he went and collected a throw in for Declan John, which just required a wee three yard cushion pass back to him, and he just knocked it straight out of the park. I mean, it was just terrible touch, terrible control. That's him in a nutshell. I mean, just just after that, or just before it, he plays the pass of the match yeah, to, to, to Bernie. I mean, it was, it was brilliant. Um, I tend to agree with Johnny. <laughs> Aberdeen away. Has never really been the place for no flair number tens um, for Rangers, so I'd be tempted to go along similar lines and just try and shore it up a bit. Um, with Morelos still injured, you'd probably go with Kenny Miller up top on his own. Um, I know Josh Windass played up with him last night, but and was excellent. He was, but you probably find he drops back into somewhere in that that five-man midfield, if that's where they're going, to, if that's the way they're going to go. I, I think Windass for me has shown himself to be a more central player. I, I think that the days of Josh Windass playing on the left, I just don't think he's got enough uh, defensive capabilities to play there. I think it, it gives Rangers a serious weakness to be exploited. We talked on the last podcast about the amount of goals they've lost from crosses on the on from the right, um, and and I think that. Windass would be better playing in number ten, for example, if he's going to play that. If they're going to play that kind of way. So Kenny Miller um, again in the left for you, Johnny. No, no, I, I, <laughs> I did call that spot on actually. Yes, but um, no, I, I don't think Kenny played particularly well on the left when they actually utilised them there, obviously. But uh, no, I think Kenny Miller should be playing up front. Yeah. Um, so I, it might it might only take a, a wee bit of tinkering. It would be a change of shape. No shifting for the diamond again. Yeah. Uh, no, it might only mean dropping Pena and bringing Candias. Yeah. back in and playing him on the right uh, Windass on the left and just going with that five man with McCrory Holt and Jack in the middle but listen who knows I mean Graham Murty might just think you know what there's every chance it could be my last game in charge <laughs> I'm going to get out with a bang we're going with the, no, the 4-4-2 again with the diamond Pena starts let's see if we can replicate what we did on, on Wednesday night and well, who knows it might, it might just work for them you beat me to it there, Scott. It could well be Marty's last game in charge on Sunday, which brings us on to a new boss. So, after Dave King's comments today, but possible candidates under contract, knowledge of British and Scottish football, <laughs> are we back to... Steve McLaren. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, obviously the rumour mill is in overdrive at the moment. Um you know, I think uh, we're back to a situation where if you look at the bookies' odds, we had this crazy situation with Alex McLeish uh, 
drop into just below evens, I think he was. But now if you look at the odds, that man Derek McInnes once again, his odds are dropping. And it would be the ultimate Rangers thing to wait five or maybe even six weeks to appoint the man that everyone said they should appoint. Wait till he's uh, wait till he's sort of embarrassed tactically by an interim <laughs> manager, and then and then appoint him. Uh, I say that you know facetiously. I think Derek McInnes would be a great appointment. I think he is underrated tactically, as I've already said. I think he's got the right. He's the right age. He knows the club inside out. He knows the league inside out. He knows the, the players inside out. He, it's just obvious, and I think he will be appointed next week. Put my neck on the line. But playing devil's advocate, Rangers have waited this long to go for him is he going to feel wanted well I mean it depends when you know when Rangers have made their, their first move I mean although we're saying that there, there has been this big big delay in announcing anything that's not to say you know, there's been moves behind the scenes whether it be with Aberdeen or you know, Derek's representatives or, or whatever certainly all the, all the hints today for Dave King point towards Derek McInnes I mean we, we did the podcast a couple of weeks ago in here we were actually veering away from McInnes quite rightly I think at the time because of the delay because of the you know just there was nothing happening that was followed by Stuart Milne's statement by Derek McInnes at the his press conference last week but I think after that everybody was almost writing, writing McInnes off but for everything we're hearing now he seems to be once again or maybe always has been their number one target Know why it's taking this long, we're, we're, not, we're not so sure, but it looks as if they'll, they'll, you know, they're going to wait to after after Sunday um, get the, these two games over and done with and, and, and make their move. I thought it was interesting to hear our colleague Keith Jackson on the back page on Monday say that his information was that Mark Allen has from the beginning suggested Derek McInnes as the number one candidate, which goes against what we've been discussing. Um, but if that is the case then once again it does cast questions over the, the process and I think if they do appoint McInnes well it will be met with I think universal or near universal acclaim from fans and the media I do think people will start to look at the process and you know and ask questions. I think Dave King has got a point in that it's a very important appointment they've made two failed appointments or per, that's the perception I don't necessarily agree with Mark Warburton was a failed, a failed appointment but Two appointments that you know have ended in, in the manager of the departing, and they'll want to get this one absolutely right. They'll want to make sure that this one is an unqualified success. So I can see why they would want to take their time, but ultimately, if it does become obvious that it is going to be Derek McInnes, I think we'll be scratching our heads a little bit as to what exactly has happened. So you two are willing to put your neck in the line and guarantee the listeners by I'm ne- next week's podcast that... <laughs> prepared to put my complete lack of uh, reputation on the line and say Derek, Derek McInnes, I think. But it's Nothing would surprise you with the Rangers, so I mean, we can't say for definite, but it certainly looks as if, and again, I know you can't rely too much on the bookies odds, but I mean, he's heavy, heavy odds on now, which means there's been there's been some serious money or they're getting info from from somewhere. Um, I certainly think next week, whether it be Derek McInnes or anybody else, no, it will happen next week and we'll have a new, a new Rangers manager. So we've just got time for a couple of Twitter questions from our listeners. Um, Haining, going bad, talking about the AGM here. What do you think the impact, Johnny, will come to you on investment would be if Resolution 11 is passed? Well, Resolution 11 is the ability to select who is allowed to invest in Rangers in a future share issue. Um, So I think Dave King talked about it and explained it in in layman's terms quite well in the interview that he did with Rangers TV, where he talked about there being investors that that want a return on their money, and those guys, the institutional investors, being different to your average supporter who's more concerned with seeing success on the pitch. And he wants that kind of person to have uh, to have bought more into the club, to be able to buy into the club again, because that's the, the core goal of this board. Um, so they will that gives them the ability to sell the shares to, to like-minded individuals. So that that's clearly the aim, and uh, we just obviously have to wait and see whether or not that happens. You know, all indications are that, that it will. 
and uh, there'll be there'll be some investment coming in. Certainly, the chairman in his interview suggested that that would be the case, and that's what he would expect to happen. And finally, a slightly left field question: um, Did Ross McCrory's performance last night remind you of a young Frank Sose? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he was he was absolutely excellent. Whether he was good, as good as Sose or not, I'll leave for Scott to to remark. I wouldn't go that far. Um, Sose was some player. Remember, like Wally scored sure for Marseille against Rangers in the the Velodrome in uh, that 92-93 season. So. Listen, Ross McCrory's got a got a bit to go. Um, I understand why people are getting are getting carried away. It's exciting, as Johnny says. It's exciting for Scottish football that, you know, along with Kieran Tierney and others, we're seeing guys like McCrory not just come to the fore but actually get game time for their club. And when it's when it's one of the the big two clubs, it's it, it's relatively rare. So. He's doing really well. He's shown he can play in two different positions now. And if he keeps keeps doing what he's doing, he's got a big future ahead of him. There are reasons for caution. I mean, Scott's literally wrote, wrote the book on a guy, Charlie Miller, who came through with much fanfare, who was, who was a lot more skilled than Ross McCrory in terms of his technical quality. I mean, Charlie Miller was a, was, was a baller, Brilliant. as they say. Um, but even a player with Charlie's talent, ultimately didn't really quite make the breakthrough after, after a great start in what was a fantastic Rangers team. And I think we've seen that many, many times. Charlie Adams another good example. So it's not just talent you need to make it at Rangers. You need talent, you need diligence, you need mentality, you need to, to be able to put your entire life on the line um, to, to make yourself a success and, and do that under immense pressure at one of the biggest and most demanding clubs in, in Europe. And, you know, it's very exciting, but you've got to think about it in those terms because there's, there's a lot of work to do for that lad, and uh, you shouldn't get carried away. That would be the worst thing. Excellent. Well, we'll end on that point there. Thanks again for joining us, Scott, and thanks, Johnny. That's all from us today. We'll be back next midweek with more news and analysis from all things Rangers. If you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, you can. I'm on Twitter, at Gary A. Journal. Scott's on at Scott McDermott 8 and Johnny is on at Johnny R. McFarlane. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Audioboom to get the podcast as soon as it's available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening. <laughs>